0: In this episode with Bob Clarkson.
1: But about six months ago, the, uh, the Parkinson's got a little bit rougher. Right. Now I'm okay now, not too bad. Yeah. I, I usually only start shaking when I, I'm a bit stressed. Right. Anything to do with the council, for example. <laughs> so I tried with the National Party, they push real, real hard for, to get houses going. Well, I think they're bad as each other to be quite honest. I shouldn't really say that, but we um, none of them have built houses that or had a formula for how they're gonna handle it. I did. Mm. The sixty two members in the National Party, I had sixty of them would vote for my policy to go ahead. Now you have to get it voted through caucus. I had sixty of the sixty two that would take it off. The two that wouldn't take it off were our Commissioner, Tully, and John Key. Right. It ended up at 1,800 houses, actually, on 500 and something acres out here. I took a uh, 50, $52 million punt <laughs> that it'll work. Right. And then the council wouldn't let me build them. I just don't know what they're doing and, and don't know when to do a good deal, you know. Oh, well, let's see. They said they did not One of the arguments they used all the time, they didn't have the money to do the upgrades for infrastructure, all that roads and sewage and all that. I said, hang on, I do all the sewage stuff, I do all the water stuff, I do all the power stuff. The only one I don't do is the road. I said, I'll tell you what, this is a big deal. 1800 hours, it's a big deal. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay for the roading. It's going to be tough. But I'll pay. You will have nothing to pay. Nothing. You'll just ride up there with your truck and trailer and pick up the money from the rates. <laughs> they still wouldn't do it. I, will, I was planning to do something decent shortly actually. Mm. I'm not doing nothing now. Yes. Um, along along the lines of actually a museum or something like that. Mm. But I'm not doing a, nothing because the fair chance they might turn it into a cow shed later on or something <laughs> like that. I mean um, the Maryvale school there a few years ago, we decided that half the kids weren't getting a feed. It's pretty hard to get educated when you're, when you're hungry. So I talked to the missus and she went out and talked to a couple of married girls that in that uh, Maryvale area. Mm. And we decided we were going to do lunches for the kids. Yeah. So we made these lunches up, we went around shops and got all their leftover food and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And we used to charge each kid one dollar and they got a big healthy lunch, believe you me. The teachers had to pay five bucks for the meal. We did that for about three or four months, and then um, the headmaster there, what's her name, Sin or something, I can't remember now, Um, she tried to stop us. I said, why on earth do you want to do that? We're doing something decent. I said, they've just got an award for it. They got a big award in Wellington for it. And uh, no. You know, we carried on, we finished the season, then we had to stop. Now she's gone into that headmaster now as a Minister of Education, for goodness sake. She's in there promoting free lunches. Hang on. You spent 12 months trying to talk us out of it.
0: All right, Bob, thank you very much for giving us some time and and coming to talk to me today. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I I remember you, I've lived in New Zealand, Tauranga now for 25 years. And when I first came to Tauranga, uh, you were a well-known character in in the city then. Um, And I've got fond memories of bumping into you at the airport one morning you were a politician at the time you were and we'll, we'll get to that uh but i was thinking about getting into politics and i remember asking you if you could spend me spare me a few minutes uh to talk about about that and i remember your advice don't bother <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh
0: and i think it was good advice actually <laughs> i think it was good advice um so yeah you know, looking back i think it was probably a, a good thing that i didn't i didn't get that um opportunity um and, and go in that direction. So I, I appreciated your candidness and your um straightforward, straight shooting back then. Um so I I, I thank you again for that. Um
1: but the bull's coming. The bull's coming. The bull's coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so today we're gonna to talk about um your life's work. That's the name of our podcast. And really it's about your life, your work and your your legacy. Um And so, if we can, I'd like to ask you if you can summarise what you would, uh, how you would describe your life's work.
1: Uh, A lot of fun, uh, hard work. I did a lot of hours, averaged 120 hours a week, which is a phenomenal amount of hours. Um, But enjoyed every moment of it because I did what I wanted to do, and that ranged from uh, putting V8 motors in Mark IV Zephyrs, all Mark IV. I did hundreds of those. Up uh, yeah. to building buildings, which have got a bit of a legacy of that around uh, town here. And uh, One of the biggest ones, of course, was the stadium, yeah. Yeah. which in itself is now causing a bit of a problem yeah. because our lovely commissioner wants to pull it down. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: so, so that's generally what it is, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, and that's certainly what you're known for, isn't it? You got the name uh, Bob the Builder. You're certainly known for uh, for building uh, lots of buildings. And uh, and we'll, so again, we'll come we'll come to that if we can. But what I'd like to do maybe is start by going back in in time to create the context for for your your life of of where you've ended up and what you've achieved along the way by looking at your childhood. You know, so if you can tell us. Where you grew up, what growing up was like, what kind of character were you, Bob, when you were a young fella?
1: Well, one thing I've really enjoyed in my life is I always look for fun. If times are tough, look, try and turn it into a bit of a laugh. When you go and see the bank manager, try and get him smiling, you know, things like that. And right back to my early days, um, and it came out when I did my maiden speech in Parliament, they give you 15 minutes. I decided I'd talk seven and a half minutes about me and seven and a half minutes about what I wanted to achieve in Parliament. And the, the speech, if I can do a little bit of a speech, was um, I was born in 1939 as a male and I've stayed that way all my life. <laughs> that got the Parliament laughing a fair bit and it, it went on with funny comments like that right at the, right at the start and right through. And uh, at the age of um, uh, 10, I did my first business deal. I used to walk down from the school in Gisborne to the shop, get a big bar of chocolate, it cost me 20 pennies. And uh, on the way back to school, I'd break it in half, I'd fold the ends in neat and tidy and when I got back to school, there was a lot of little, little rich kids there. So I'd sell them half a bar for 20 pennies, making a 100% profit which proves, of course, that I'm good at mathematics. (laughs) The only problem was that I ate the (laughs) profits. In in Parliament, that sort of went down with a bit of a laugh. And then when I got on to the next part, which was, I hope my wife's not listening at the moment, by the way, but, uh, (laughs) um, after 11 years of marriage, I, I asked her what she wanted for Christmas, and she said a divorce. And uh, I said, well, I wasn't thinking of anything so expensive. <laughs> and, of course, that again, that was in Parliament. So yeah. the whole yeah. of the debating chamber was absolutely bent over with pain and laughter. Yeah. And I re- it was really yeah. – Jerry Brownlee, who I got on very well with, um, he just reckoned it was one of the best speeches he'd ever heard because yeah. it came from the heart. Yeah, yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, exactly. Half the politicians in Parliament, and I don't want to start on that at the moment, but half of them are just there to bluff their way through. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so so, where did you, you know, as, as a child, you—you you,
0: were, were you uh, an only child? Did you have brothers and sisters?
1: No, two sisters and a brother.
0: Yeah. And where did you grow up? Where, where was, what was home like? What was? Home
1: like. Uh, very good, actually. Um we actually, just for your interest, on the weekend we had a family reunion, only, only this last Saturday, so we talked about the past. And we had sort of strict rules. Uh, every Sunday was a roast meal, you know, you could count on it. And it was really, my mother's a very good cook. And uh, the family has run fairly strictly. Uh, but I still did most of the things I wanted to do. So... Uh, um, you'd have to be a poor person if you didn't enjoy it because we played hockey, we played football, we did all the normal things.
2: Yeah Yeah.
0: And where did you get your sense of humor from? So you've already touched on that and we've already experienced a bit of that. So where did I get? your sense of humor? Oh. Where, you know were you a funny kid?
1: I think I was a bit of a dumb kid really and so I had to make some fun to get through spots. Um, I filed promo a one by the way. I had to stay back an extra year, so I had to look at the funny side of that because it was a bit funny actually. So I, I think it's just imagine It's, it's almost a cover-up um, system when I get in tight spots later in life. When I had to bluff my way through to the bank manager, you get big mortgages and whatnot, or overdrafts, uh, same sort of thing. Yeah. So,
0: so it's, uh, is it like a bit of a defence mechanism?
1: yeah, yeah I, I, possibly that the yeah. uh, uh, I was always good at uh, on the mathematics side of things but English and all that I wasn't very good at all so I had to have something some humor somewhere yeah and uh, as I said I enjoyed playing hockey
0: yeah 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 so as you were you've obviously told us when you were 10 you were doing your first business deal um, what where did you get that from? What was – what was your, What did your, your mum and dad do? What were they – what was their background?
1: Uh, my old man was – well, he started off as the Ducks of the Kitey School in Gisborne. <laughs> so he was very well educated. Um, no, I, I just one of those things that happened in life and uh, I was trying to uh, think of a couple other things but uh, – so what did what did
0: your dad do? Was he what was he do for a living?
1: Oh, that's that's what I was going to say. The I always had a desire to save money, mm-hmm. and that's what led on to other things. And that was your yeah. Was, that's where that school thing comes from. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so forth and so forth. And I went on doing that all all the time. So uh, um,
0: did you did you? Like in your home life with your parents, did they did they have a lot of money or did they not have a lot of money? What what was no. what was
1: you know like? No, we had a con- small small farm. Yeah, uh, it was only about thirty acres. It yeah. was town supply for Gisborne, town yeah. supply for milk. Yeah, and, uh, and we worked hard because we had to hand milk the cows for a fair few years. Yeah, until they bought machinery out to do. Yeah, and. Uh, but, uh, so, did, so
0: did that give you the, as a, as a kid, did you sort of think that I actually need to look after myself, so I need to be able to earn money? Is that was that a driver?
1: I think I'll explain. So I'm stuttering a little bit, and the reason I'm stuttering yeah. is that my great great grandfather had a, a gold mine, <laughs> and I was wondering how I could lead that out of the conversation. Right. On the money side of things. Yeah. Um an actual fact, I'll just talk about that for a second. Sure. I um, used to think it was family folklore about this gold mine, you know, how family stories get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, so we got in the car at Christmas and went up Thames to find this gold mine. Lo and behold, there's a sign on the side of the section, Clarkson Gold Mine. <laughs> it was the highest yielding gold mine in, in the Thames Valley area. Is that right? Five million ounces of gold. In the period they were there, right. that's a lot of gold in the old days. Yeah, and uh, so we had a look around there, and I always wanted to go back with my digger and do a bit of digging. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the one thing I've missed in life. If I had 20 years back, I'd, I'd go gold mining. Yeah, it's not the desire to get rich; it's the desire of achievement. Yeah, there's nothing better than filling a 44-gallon drum up with gold. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: That. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I slipped sideways a bit there, but yeah. generally uh, there's an achievement desire there, which is effectively money. You earn money, and money records how, how well you achieved. Yeah, I mean, that's what it does, isn't it? You yeah. end up at the end of, end of the year, end of the month, whatever it is, how much money you got, yep. and that's how much achievement you had. Yeah, yeah, yep. But I'm not against giving money away, and I have done a fair bit of that in this town. Yeah. So uh, it's not being a matter of being an old Scrooge or anything.
0: Yeah. It's more about achievement, That's knowing right. that you're yeah, working right. hard and getting results.
1: Driving in the car with my kids past the stadium uh, for the racing and football, I mean, that was a real achievement. We built that thing. It 15,000 people and uh, we won the Ranfurly Shield, if you remember, yeah. which was amazing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we knew, it, we, we held it for one, one thing, we felt it. Yep. And uh, then the stock cars, of course, we had crowds up to 15,000 at the start there.
2: Yeah.
1: That's big crowds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We flew plane r- loads of racing cars in from the States in Russian Globemasters. Mm. A lot of people wouldn't know that. Race no. raced them here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it was quite achievement, and as I said, driving past there, Dad built that, granddad built that, whatever it may be. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: That's uh, got to give you a little bit of a laugh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Well, uh, a
0: bit of pride as well, right? It's yeah. has got to, it's got to a, be a sense of pride chance, about yeah. looking at what you've built and, you know, if there was nothing there and then you've you've built something like a stadium, that's a significant achievement. Well,
1: I drew that myself and a lot of the steel were made by my own guys. And a lot of it was done by Thorpe Engineering in town here. But uh, uh, so I, I did all the drawings for it. So I, mean, I used to wait till 2.30 in the morning drawing up plans for the next day. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so it was quite a job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll just diverse a little bit. I went to for my driving licence yesterday and you got to do a memory test. And they ask you stupid damn questions, I don't know. See, I'm getting good now on this thing, I'm not saying bloody questions. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, um, um, they ask you questions that don't make much sense. And I said, well, ask me some questions about the stadium, I'll tell you everything. How many bolts you used to bolt together? 222,000. Yeah. How much timber on the decks where you stand or seat? That's yeah. I mean, it. It's 55 kilometres from here to Rotorua. Yeah. So those things because I was doing those, you know, and it's easy to remember. Yeah. But to ask me to remember somebody's address, uh, five minutes later, it's just dumb. Yeah, yeah. But whatever.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So can we can we go back a a step? We might we'll come back to that stadium um, uh, achievement if we can. But so when you what what age did you leave school and what, what did where did how did you start
1: work? What was that for you? But like in the old days, I was um, 16 when I left school. Yeah, but you could go straight downtown and I wanted to be a fitter turner, engineer, and uh, you can go straight in and get a job straight away. That's the way the market was in those days. Uh, Kids today are going to go through a rigmarole or um, can you use a computer, can you do this, can you do that and then they do a question and answer thing about which way they sit on the toilet, if I may say. I mean, it's just, it's overboard. But if you want the best man, you've got to do that. So life's a lot harder now for young kids than it was for me. I just had to go in there. We did night school for trade training, so you didn't have to do a whole lot of educational things prior to getting the job. You just took yourself along there you presented yourself, came to here, and uh, you got a job. So it was a bit easier on that side. Of it. But anyway, 16 years old, went into there, sat my trade exams, um, passed the whole lot, no trouble at all, and uh, carried on. And when I was a tradesman, I left there and moved up to Matamata prior to coming to Taranga. Yeah. 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 So
0: where were you before
1: Mat- Matamata? Was that Gisborne? Gisborne, yeah. Gisborne, yeah. Yeah, good old yeah. Poverty Bay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so how,
1: how long were you in uh,
0: Matamata for?
1: Uh, about 12 to 14 years. Yeah. We had a business there selling tractors, farm tractors. Right. Trucks and things like that. And um, then uh, then I started building buildings. Uh, I did my V8 conversions first, of course, to put V8 in cars. Yeah. But then... We started building buildings in Matamata and then came to Tauranga. But I used to bring a van over with five or six guys in it. We drive over every day mm. and uh, do our work and go back home again. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, so I can proudly look at McDonald Street in the Mount. That's the first 12 buildings we built, the, all the buildings in McDonald Street. Right, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll hasten to tell you that the price for that land was. Nine dollars a square meter, and it's now a thousand dollars a square meter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how stupid the world's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you were doing
0: your um, V eight conversions, um, you know, is that is that, was that where you made? Did you make a little bit of money out of that? Is that what how you got into property
1: investment? Yeah, a lot, lots of money. I was, I was importing second hand V eight motors and transmissions from the states. I was bringing in six container loads at a time, 120 meters and transmissions, right. plus parts. You had to have a license to do it. Hmm. Another fail up in New Zealand, but we won't go into that. And uh, it would put them in the mark force, and that was it. Yes, I made lots of money, and I had enough money to start building buildings. Yeah, and uh, uh, that gave me the the power with the weight of money I had, or the amount of money I had to, to do what I wanted to do. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. My main business. When I first started, or yeah, when I first started out, I'd watch the pavement until I saw some firm pulling a big building down. For example, at Pemrose, there was a 66,000 square foot, say 7,000 square meter building, up for tender to remove. So I'd take all my guys, I'd put them in a motel at Auckland, and then I'd uh, we'd pull the building down, put it on trucks, and cut it down to the mound. And for example, if you know any buildings in McDonald Street. Mainly the ones at the far end, they all came from Auckland or somewhere else. Right. Uh, some of them came from Wellington. So, so
0: basically, that, you were moving buildings, rather yeah, than building yes, from.
1: yes, and rebuilding them. yes. Yeah, yeah. And very hard, hard work, but absolutely plenty of money in it. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, yeah, was a good, good, good deal.
0: Yeah. What were you doing in 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 Matamata that led you to
1: think about building buildings? What what triggered that? Well, it was a money thing again, as simple as this, I started bringing these... I need to slip back a little just a little bit further. I worked at the Kaimai Tunnel first, right. putting the tunnel through. I worked on the other side, and you might remember the tunnel collapsed at one stage, and later, later on they had problems, so they moved the tunneling machinery around this side, which I worked on, but I, I decided to stay on the other side, so I stayed over there. We were getting... a fortnight, where in Manamana we were getting $50 a fortnight. Those tunnels in those old days used to pay real good pay, so I was getting good money. So I was getting loaded up again with cash. So what I started doing is building some buildings on the sideline. And gradually the V8 business died off and uh, the building business took off. Yeah, yeah. So... Where we go again? Yeah, yeah. So, what did you what did you know about building buildings? What was? Well, I was an engineer, a fitter and turner. Yep. So I did the trade exams and all that for engineering. Yeah. So, uh, quite me, yeah. I, I was quite capable of doing it. Yeah. Uh, of course, the I always drew my own drawings for the buildings, but I had different firms in town and ran them that would work the calculations out and check them. And it was a lot easier in those days to get a permit or a consent. Today, again, that's real hard work. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the first building you built? Uh, I know the first one I bought was not matter matter, yeah. but uh, yeah. I can't explain where it is, but awkward. Yeah. But the first one I built, you know, I used to make a habit of buying dairy factories and rebuilding them. So I'd, I'd strip all the stuff out of them and then I would uh, rebuild them to suit certain people. I did uh, 47 buildings in Matamata like that. Wow. And uh, half of them, like the old dairy factory in First Street, the other side of Matamata, um, I only paid 125000 for that and I sold it for about $2.5 million when I finished I think offhand. Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, so I didn't go straight into the building just play ran new buildings that came later on
2: yeah 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 yeah
1: so and what
0: was um what was life like in in, in matter, matter what was uh, I, I know that you've told me before some of the stories that um, of some of the fun times you were having while you were busy building and things like that what
1: was what was life like over there yeah um, Well, I played hockey there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually uh, hockey one issue. I went. I got picked in the Waikato team as a goalie. Yeah. And I actually got picked from there in the second New Zealand team, and we played the New Zealand team that went over to the Olympics in 1976. Won the gold medal. Yeah. So hockey was very strong in those days. Yeah. So it was that side when I was a bit younger. Then as I got older. We had this uh, business selling tractors and all that. I did that for about 10 years. Mm. And then gradually I changed over to doing these V8s. Oh, sorry. I went out to the Kaimai Tunnel, as I said, for a period of three years. Mm. I threatened to kill the boss. I got the sack. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, actually. But uh, I didn't mean it.
0: (laughs) what was it? What was that about? What was that about? It was interesting to have a workplace story. What was what was going on there? Uh, I'd
1: been working. I'd been working about just under 20, 22 hours a, a day a day, and I was pretty tired. We were trying to keep the tunneling machine going, so I was working long hours just for a few days. I was a bit tired. And the boss came up to me and said some stupid remark, and uh, I should tell you his name over here, but i the speaker about how I won't. Um and I just said, "I'll hit you over the head with a beer bottle if you don't look out." And he to- he told he told the boss that I threatened to kill him, but in actual fact, I mean, I don't drink, so how was I going to do that? <laughs> but uh, anyway, I got the sack. So then I had to make a decision, and that was a key spot in my life. I could go back on a wage earner, fifty, sixty dollars a week, a fortnight, sorry, uh, which is way down from what I was getting, or I was going to have a go, so I decided to put these V8s in the Mark IVs. Applied for a license to import V8 motors, and got it. Yeah. So the next thing I had to go over to the states to pack containers with V8 motors. But I'd never been on a plane before. I didn't know what LA meant. Yeah. But we went over there and got a load of motors, brought them back, and did our first lots of um, V8s and Mark IVs and made lots of money.
0: Yeah. And is that how you had to do it? You had to go physically over there yourself and and, and
1: buy them. If you want to get a good deal, because I don't want to rubbish Americans, but they're a bit hard and a bit tough. Yeah. You give them a chance, they'll rip you off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's sad, but that's the way it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that turned out well, didn't
0: it? So you know oh, that uh, well. issue issue with the with the boss and the mine um led to something good. Yeah. So how how long were you in Matamata before? After that, after you, and then you moved to Taronga. What was uh, how did you know? How five did that year. come about? We
1: travelled back as a forge to Taronga to the Mount site. Yeah, uh, for five years, and uh, um, we would have built about five big buildings. We, on that one side over there at McDonald Street, we built twelve buildings. Yeah, some of the big buildings too. Uh, that, I was always proud of that because it was way ahead and of uh, its time and uh, not many people were doing big clusters of buildings like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, at that time, was that a bit of a risk, Bob, for you, like taking a punt on building, you know, a number of buildings in one spot like that or was no, it fairly no. nailed on that that was going to be successful?
1: Well, what we that we made our own luck by building them to suit each other. So we, built, we got firms as, as tenants – to, uh, that cooperated with, with each other. So one might build a, a something, a truck body or something like that and, and another firm down the road might build trailers. So they all worked together to a certain extent. Yeah. And then we had placemakers. We built all that over there. So that led to the building and then I started buying off them to build buildings. Yeah. But uh, no, I, uh, I certainly, I think I was lucky there that I moved... Into the land, your land when it was cheap, nine dollars a square meter. You you pay more for that than the letterbox today, It's just plain hard work. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I
0: think that's what I was asking about. You know whether it was um, a risk or not because, like, well, I mean, you you just said yourself, you you made your own luck, right? Yeah. Um, if land was cheap, no one else was buying it up like you were. You had to kind of take a little bit of a a punt or a, right. a risk. The,
1: the market hadn't started expanding rapidly like it has lately. Yeah. So I got in just at the right time. Yeah. And secondly, as I said, I was building down recyclable buildings, so I'd pull them down. That seven thousand square meter building I bought down from Pemrose in Auckland. I paid thirty grand for that building. Yeah. I pulled it down. I had it all dismantled and trucked down the down to McDonald Street. Uh, for 130 grand. Yeah. I spent about another 100 grand putting it up because we put it straight back up again, exactly same, so. yeah. And uh, kept it for about 10 years and sold it for $5 million. Wow. So, yeah. Good return. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a buck there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was a very, very good business I had there. Again, I said it was hard to work yeah. but... Never been scared of work, really. No, no. Yeah. So wait, what was ne- what was next after that then? Where you you we went back to? Donald Street. Yeah, we finished off there. I think we did twelve buildings all told there. So some of them are quite big ones, as I said. Yeah. Then we moved over to Malini Street, out to Greenway. Yeah. Twenty-two acres there. I bought that for um, three dollars a square meter. Wow. <laughs> Oh, it's just dream stuff. Yeah. How long ago was this? What, what year was that? It was I'll be hard for us to work that out. Yeah. Um, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So we did a whole bunch of buildings there, put a road right up through the middle, mm. and uh, uh, kept them for a while. Always try to keep my buildings 10 years, because tax-wise, you don't pay tax on a building after 10 years. Right. So you got to play the game a little bit. Stupid rules, but how? That's the way it is. Mm. If you make money, they should tax you, shouldn't they? Yeah. I think yeah. they should. Yeah. But, uh, how that's how it goes. So uh, we finished that one. And then we went back to Aviation Avenue over by, by McDonald Street. Mm. And I did a fair few buildings. I had, uh, I leased the land off the airport. 30, I think I had 37 acres altogether. Mm. And then I built all the buildings down there. And uh, where did I go from there? I think I went out to Tariq, industrial area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, started building full-time there. Yeah, yeah. So
0: how many buildings (laughs) have you built, do you think? Have you got any idea?
1: I'd be absolutely guessing 12. Thirty six. Oh, I don't know, eighty, I suppose. Yeah. Some of them are bigger. I think. Yeah. We we're, we're just finishing two buildings off now, eight thousand square meters each. Yeah. That's fairly big buildings, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, Bob? How how old are you, do you mind sharing? How old you are now? Well, last week I thought I was eighty five, but I found out I'm only eighty four. So I feel good now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you've
2: gained a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, eighty four. And you're still building. Still, oh, still slow down a bit now.
1: Yeah, I uh, sold my big digger. It's a fifty-five ton digger. Yeah, I used to enjoy driving that. I could chuck the phone away. Yeah, and sit on there all day and yeah. and have a have a lot of fun. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, but about six months ago, the uh, the Parkinson's got a little bit rougher. Right. Now I'm okay now. I'm not too bad. Yeah. I I usually only start shaking when I. I'm stressed. Right. Anything to do with the council, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you're slowing down, but you're not. You've not stopped. You're going to keep. Going. I'd
1: be building buildings tomorrow. I've, I've got five big buildings. One of them, fifteen thousand square meters. To build. Right. Right. But I can't build them because the land out there is too too expensive. Is
0: when this I, in Taurico? Yeah. Yeah. When
1: I went to Taurico. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were paying uh, about $170 a square metre. Mm. It's now 750 Only three years later. Yeah. That is shocking. Yeah. That is destroying the industrial base here. Yeah.
2: It's,
1: it's just it's really terrible. So all these tenders that I've got lined up, I can't build buildings for them. We can't, we can't make them survive with the cost of the rent. Yeah. It's
2: yeah. crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: just on that point, Bob, so is that, has that been your kind of pattern? Do you get a tenant before you build or are you building and then finding a tenant?
1: When I first started out, I made a couple of rules. I would never build for a tenant. I'd better get this the right way around. I'd build a building that I wanted to build, that I judged the market needed.
3: Mm.
1: Then I'd build it, and then the tenant would come along and have a look at it, and if he wanted it, he could, he could have it, rent it. Mm. If he didn't want it, he could back it off, you know? so it was that. Yeah. No simple rules. Yeah. That means there was no pressure on us. We built the building when we wanted to build it, we got it finished when we wanted to have it finished, and everybody was happy. Yeah. Gradually, um, my foreman and team of guys I've got worked pretty good. And uh, Neil Ellis, my foreman, he'd hate me saying his name on this, but however. Uh, he's been with me thirty nine years now. Right. A fairly long time. And um, he done a fairly good job. Now when that happened, we started attracting companies who wanted me to build buildings. Right. And that's where I started doing mega tens, bunnings mm. and uh, various buildings like that. Right. Only, only, just about two weeks ago, I was pr- proud. I found out on the weekend at the family reunion that my brother's daughter runs a, a trucking firm called Kobe's. I think it's in Auckland, big firm. And uh, they were talking away there, and they said they needed to get a building in Tauranga. And one of the guys at the management meeting stood up and said, "Oh, we can get that guy Bob Clarkson in Tauranga to build it." Mm-hmm.
2: That's yeah, a yeah. fair bit of pride there. Yeah, exactly. That? Yeah.
1: And my sauce, so my brother's daughter, she heard that and she nearly fell out of the chair. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but we can't build it now. Land's too dear. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, on that point that you just made there, you've obviously got a, a fantastic reputation nationwide for oh, doing this. Do. Yeah. Oh, staff anyway. yeah, yeah. So that's that's great. That's good. Coming back to what you, your point about the cost of land though, where's that going to end, Bob? What's
1: what's the outcome of that well, looking
0: like in the long term?
1: I don't know. I'm too old now to really wait. It doesn't matter what you pay now in time, that'll deem to be cheap. When I paid $9 for McDonald Street, a square metre, I thought that was awfully expensive. You yeah. Know? yeah. Two or three years later, that was a gift. And now, now we are going to pay $750. I think it will take a while to recover from that, but in time that will deem to be cheap. Yeah. Yeah. But when you get land in Christchurch, $250 a square metre, Hamilton, $270 a square metre, uh, Wellington I think is about 280 or something like that. This is industrial land. Mm. And we come to town and it's 750 to 850 there's something wrong with this town. Yeah. There's something wrong with this council. Oh, hang on! We haven't got a council. There's <laughs> something wrong with the commissioner,
2: right? Yeah, simple yeah. Simple as that. So, is that is that
0: what you think is driving the cost up? What what is driving the cost up? Why are we different? Why is Tellingham so expensive? We've got a
1: dean to be a council that doesn't know how to handle things. What the simple rule with cost analysis of things or what you're trying to do? If price prices too, do you put more on the market? Drive the price down. And that's the council's job, I can't do that. Mm. How can I do that? I've got to get consents and everything. Mm. So how on earth do I do that? So the council should say, look, this is not good enough. This land's just too dear. We're going to open up another 100 acres. And that means the developer out there now gets a bit of pressure on him. He lowers the pressure down. Right. This guy is having a, is a joke out there at the moment. He's running the whole market, one developer, one developer doing industrial land. Hmm. That is so far wrong. Hmm. That doesn't affect me. I sell my buildings, they're selling for a hellishly high price. See, I normally keep my buildings by the way, Hmm. but about a year ago I sold a whole bunch of them. Right. Twenty, twenty-two of them I think. Wow, okay. And so it's good for me, but the poor developer or, or, or tenant coming along has got to pay really high rent. You can't expect them to do that. Yeah. Well, it's not sustainable
0: in a, in a in a market like we've got now, in an economy like we've got at the minute, is it? For people to – you know, what, what's the incentive for, for businesses to move to Tauranga? Sorry? I'm saying what's the incentive for people to move to Tauranga to yeah. bring their businesses here?
1: Or, or even to start <laughs> a business. I mean, yeah. one of the buildings I'm doing at the moment, we've got some good tenants in, in Tauranga, you know, around here. Mm-hmm. This building I'm doing at the moment, it's an outfit that makes computerised machines for making things. Now this firm in make, uh here uh, makes trusses for houses. You know what is? trusses? Yeah. So what they do, they make these machines and supply them to a company that makes trusses. The company that makes the trusses puts three or four pallet loads of timber next to the machine before they go home at night switch the computerised machine on, when they come back in the morning, the trusses are made for three or four houses, finished. Yeah, wow. Real clever stuff. Yeah. This is a New Zealand design machine, Mm -hmm. New Zealand manufacturing machine. Every company in New Zealand that does trusses has got one of these machines. Yeah. The reason he's building another building now, he's exporting to Canada, Australia and somewhere else. You know, Canada and Australia mainly. Mm -hmm. So he's going to go right through that market. So you're talking big bucks and you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. uh,
2: Yeah.
0: And so the other thing that you were looking at, and and I suppose this is connected to your uh, politician days maybe, but you had some land that you wanted to build affordable housing on. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? I'd rather forget the political side of things. In about 2000, I started buying land up out to Rekau, mm-hmm. um <laughs> near Redwood Lane, you might not, um, to build affordable houses. I've got a passion for affordable houses. I uh, couldn't get anywhere for a start, so I thought, oh, I'll go into, I'll go into Parliament and give them a shake. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I stood against poor old Winston over in Taronga here and beat him, yep. and I ended up in Parliament. <laughs> Then I realised that was a dumb thing to do. But however, that's how it goes. So I tried with the National Party. They pushed real, real hard for, to get houses going. Well, I think they're bad as each other, to be quite honest. I shouldn't really say that, but we um, none of them have built houses that, or had a formula for how they're going to handle them. I did. There were 62 members in the National Party. I had 60 of them. Would vote for my policy to go ahead. Now you have to get it voted through caucus. I had sixty of the sixty-two that would take it off. The two that wouldn't take it off were our commissioner, and Tully, and John Key. Right. <clears throat> so I went into John Key's office. I can say this, and you can see the see the bum off me, of right? So it's true. I went in his office, and I said, John, I'm sick to death of not building houses. We need houses we do them now, we'll get ahead of the market." And he still wouldn't take it off. I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't tick it off, I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here, waste of time. He said, well, that's your choice, so where I went. I went mm-hmm. down. Right. Then I tried with the council here to build, it ended up at 1,800 houses, actually, on 500 and something acres out here. It, the land's really good, it faces north of the sun. Mm-hmm. It's got a river through the bottom, I mean, it couldn't be better. And uh, and I got it reasonably cheap. Still a lot of money, by the way. Yeah. I took a uh, 50, $52 million punt <laughs> that it'll work. Right. And then the council wouldn't let me build them. Right. I bought all the machinery brand new, big scrapers and tractors and bulldozers, all brand new, got the stuff into matter out of here. And I had to sell it in Aussie in the end because they wouldn't let me build houses there. Right. That's how bad it is. That's how dumb this council is. Stuart Crosby should have his bum whipped. And I really mean that because he kept telling lies. I've said this before and he rang me up about it. And I said, Sue me if you like, I'd love to take you to court. They just would tell me they're gonna let me build them, and they go into the next room and they say, ah, Ha ha. Right. So he was looking after his mates. And anyway, you know, so I got pretty stroppy about that but didn't do any good so in the end I sold to classic homes and they're trying to get it through now. They've spent about three or four years already, they've spent millions of dollars and they can't get it through. For goodness sake, it's 520 acres, we can build 1,800 houses, nice houses, whether they be affordable or whatever you want to build. Just down the road a little bit is the big, about seven 800 diameter waste pipeline there. It's already in place. It's underused. It's only used about 50% of the time. It only carries 50% of whatever. The water's only about 3k's away. That's easy to do. And then a few big roundabouts at Redwood Lane, uh, Cambridge Road, and Gargan Road. Big roundabouts. They do that in Aussie. Yeah. Don't worry about these flyovers and all that. Mm. And we could add that up and running. They fought and fought and fought and they just wouldn't give in. So, I spent about $2 million and it's just wasted money. So, now I got poor old Classic Homes having a crack at doing it, and I feel sorry for the guy Mm. um, because he's not getting very far, very fast. I actually put a deal to the council in writing by my lawyer that they said, Oh, you're just trying to make a lot of money. I said, That's my choice, not yours.
3: Mm.
1: If I want to make a lot of money, I'm actually going broke because I won't sell anything. You gotta sell things at the right price, you need to sell them. So I said, I'm gonna do a deal. So I went away and I put put a deal to them that said that I would build 500 houses, land and the house, three bedrooms, car shed, three hundred and fifty thousand. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. I'll guarantee to those in writing, you give me the you give me the consent to get started. And I'll build those rights from the start. We'll do those 500, which I was going to lose a bit of money on but it would have stimulated the whole project, you see. Yeah. And they still wouldn't do it. And that's in writing in their minutes down there.
0: What's, what's the reason for that then? From your perspective, Bob, right? Obviously, there's, there's always different sides to, to an argument, but what's your understanding of why they didn't want to do that?
3: Because I, I clearly, clearly,
0: it's an issue, isn't it? You know, we we haven't got enough houses. It, it's
1: just, it's just ridiculous. I, I gave a speech out the way there to a fairly big crowd, and uh, one of the things I said that it smelt of backhanders. The consents were going out to Papamara to certain people, flat stick, nothing were coming our way. So I said that I thought that somebody. I had to be careful how I said this, of course, yeah. but I felt that there might be backhanders or something going on because why couldn't I get a consent when I had the best deal going? The sewer line was right at the front door. Mm. It's already there, big one. The water line was just down the road a bit. The power station's just up the road. They still wouldn't do it. And they just just went on and on right like then, that. that was Stuart Crosby. Mm. So quite clearly um, and i'll tell it to his face too mm. it, it just uh it was it just destroyed town because now we have got houses that once the house prices go up they come back very little mm. you get them talking about house prices dropping now but they've only dropped a little bit yeah. they won't go back to the price they were you know mm. must houses over a million dollars now young people haven't got a dog show now yeah
0: that's right yeah. It's the younger generations that are going to suffer, isn't it?
1: If I'd done my 500 affordable homes that I wanted to, do and then carried on, that would have held the price down. Yeah, and then all these young people would be smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh,
0: so what's so obviously the the situation has changed. It's not the same council. Um, this is a few years ago now, but but the situation is still the same. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, it is. It is. And, and everybody blames everybody else. And then the government departments, or government, yeah, departments I suppose, they go and pay stupid prices for land and upset the market. You know, they bought some land out to They paid a shocking price for it. Somebody should go to jail for it, actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so you've you got all these people in parliament and various other areas that just don't know what they're doing. And, and don't know when to do a good deal, you know? Oh, let's see. Yeah. They said they didn't, one of the arguments they use all the time, they didn't have the money to up, do the upgrades for infrastructure, all that roads and sewage yeah. and all that. I said, hang on, I do all the sewage stuff, I do all the water stuff, I do all the power stuff. The only one I don't do is the road. I said, I'll tell you what, this is a big deal, 1800 hours, it's a big deal. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay for the roading, it's going to be tough, but I'll pay. You will have nothing to pay, nothing. You'll just ride up there with your truck and trailer and pick up the money from the rates. <laughs> they still wouldn't do it. Yeah. So the worst period I consider for Tauranga in the last 20 years has been the time that Stuart Crosby was there. And I can't quite figure out what's going on. You ask me, um, is it still happening? Well, it's still happening here. It's still happening now. You know, nothing's happening yep. in a major way. Yeah. But certainly, um, I, I don't like saying that we had smart growth or that was commonly known as dumb growth at any rate, so that wasn't much use. Hmm. But we just, I don't know, I don't really know why. I really don't know why they don't do it. Yeah. But anyway, too late now. Mm. That land attracts, I think, three million a year on in interest. Right? It might be higher than that, actually. Yeah, yeah about six million a year in interest. That goes on top every year. So why are your, why are your houses expensive?
2: Mm.
0: Well, that, yeah, that's, that's pushing right. the price of those houses up eventually, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: just it up and up and up and up. Yeah, yeah. So what's hey. your. your
0: um, drive. I, I've read somewhere someone uh, at one point labelled you. I think it was a friend of yours or someone that knew you has been a capitalist with a, uh, a, a socialist conscience or something conscience or something like that. Um, you know, so this this drive for and, and obviously from a philanthropic point of view, you've done a lot of good stuff in this community, Bob, over the years. You obviously wanted to build affordable homes. That's not to say that you were, like you said, you, you would have taken a little bit of a loss, um, but overall you might have made some money out of it. Yeah. It but there are probably easier ways for you to make money. What was driving you to want to build affordable houses? What's
1: Mainly because nobody was doing it, and I thought they were dumb not doing it. Uh, I'm a great believer in um, repetitious work, So if you can build affordable homes that all look exactly the same, there's nothing wrong with that, providing you put them on the site in a manner that they don't look like that. So you make clusters of them. So even though they look the same, you might turn them quarter of a turn or something like that. that. So we could do 500 out there without affecting the site. We didn't want the 520 acres to turn into... um, uh, A low-grade subdivision. So you just turn and move around and whatnot, so forth, so forth. But where were we heading there? I've lost a bit there now. Yeah, Yeah.
0: No, so I was asking about the, you know, like your, what was your driver for wanting to have affordable homes?
1: Funny thing to say would be that I got a lot of fun and of giving something to somebody. When I... um, I bought an ambulance in town here for the Ambulance Brigade and the smile you got when you hand it over to them, it's, just, it's a really good feeling. Mm. And that might seem stupid but it's a fact. Yeah. So if I could do something that cost me a few bob, I was making plenty of money so it didn't matter, uh, it would give me a thrill. And, and I'll tell you what, if I'd built this whole 1,800 houses out there and took my grandchildren past,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean it would be a massive feeling, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it seems
0: like that's in, an important thing for you, Bob, to build something of value and to have a sense of pride around that.
1: Well, I had a housing policy. I was going to say it before, but I left it for later. Um, I wanted to start a policy with the National Party that is a point system. If you lived in a state house you, and, and you looked after the house, kept it clean and tidy, you might get so many points out of 10. So you might get eight points or something like that. If you paid your rent on time and up to date, you might get another 8 points out of 10 on that section and so on and so on and so on. And the end result is there might be a total of 100 points you can earn and you might have 98 or something like that. Now that was a system. If you got 98 out of 100, it might trigger that you had the right to get another house. So if you were in a state house, the government would have to build you a house and then they would put the next state house tenant in that original state house. That was the basic idea of it. Yeah.
0: So you get an upgrade,
1: basically. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Now, also, if you looked after your house, I said, and all those sort of things, and then you found somebody to buy your state house, the government could sell it to that person they'd build you a house. So there's a whole lot of trigger points there Yeah. and you could gradually upgrade. Yeah. All the time, the points were earned by management. Money paid on time. Neatness, tidiness, and so forth and so forth. Mm. So, we encourage these people with state houses to look after them because I'll tell you what, I've seen some state houses that are shockers.
2: Yeah.
1: They shouldn't be given a house. Mm. Then, as you go along, um, we, we gradually move that into the regular type house too. So, the, you, don't want a, you don't want your carpenters, your plumbers, and all them missing out yeah. because unfortunately, they usually earn you too much to get a state house and uh, they can't get loan at the bank because the banks are tightened up, you know. Mm. But there's ways to handle it. So we had a system, or I had a system, that I reckon is really good and it would have definitely worked. Yeah. And the key side issue was that we'd get rid of some of these damn state houses. We've got state houses at the moment being built for a million, million, two million, three million, four State houses and given to some people, and not all of them, I'm not going to be mean here, some are just deadbeats and they get the house for next to nothing. They don't pay the rent. Mm. Just, just a shocker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I think that's the answer. The, uh, I made a trip to the States about housing and I paid my own tickets. That's how I felt. I wasn't going to be, somebody's telling me I was leaning on the government. Mm. And I met a congressman or senator from the Senate or whatever it is over there. And talked about housing over there, they've got the same problem. Miles and miles of money going out and nothing happening. Nothing happening. Yeah. Mine is based on a point system, as I said, and the simple thing, if you get the points, you get a house. If you don't get the points because you're rough on the house, you don't pay the money, you don't get the house. Yeah. So we don't have all this money disappearing. The government just pays out on contracts to get a house built if, that, if you're entitled to it, yeah. and so forth and so forth.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, I dearly, dearly love to have done that. I just uh, I just to magic.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Is it, is it too late, do you think, Bob, for you now to start oh, to push can, for that? I can always sit in the lounge watching TV or somebody tells me things on computers or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But something oh. needs to change, all right? We need to do something about housing.
1: But politicians won't listen to anybody. I um I have rang Luxon to come down and see me about the land that the government bought out at Tarikau, paid twice too much money for it. Mm. Didn't turn up. I've been out rubbish too many people. I ain't got much faith in politics at the moment. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, sad really, but uh so be it.
0: So your, your time in politics was that that was two thousand and five wasn't it? I think you started.
2: Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. The,
0: what what was what was it? Was it the the housing policy or the the passion about that? Was that what drove you to stand?
1: Yeah, or yeah. What, yeah. that's yes? what got me into parliament. Yeah, yeah. is that I, I wanted to get this housing stuff going. Yeah. I think the first year I was in there, the well, first year National did housing, they did four houses in a year. I mean it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Labor, I don't know if they did any. Mm. They, uh, that was Helen Clark's years in those years. Okay. But uh, uh, I think housing is very important, you know, if you can if you can keep your families together with a good, a reasonable house, don't it be a good, good, good house, but a reasonable house, if you can keep your families together, I mean, uh, you don't get crooks and all that. So those that stay together, I'll uh, oh, reword that, those that play together, mm-hmm. stay together.
2: Yeah.
1: And if families stay together, usually you don't have trouble. Right, yeah. So uh, we, uh, and again, if you have the point system on the house, the parents are going to, Tell the kids not to abuse the house, not to beat up or so forth because we lose money, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing starts to work. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, wow. Uh, yeah. So how did you find your time in politics? Was it frustrating?
1: Yeah. After the first 12 months I realised I, should, I shouldn't I should have gone. Right. Um, if you're not in the th- top three or four, you might as well not be there. Right. And... Uh, I certainly wasn't in the top three or four. Um, uh, When John Brash was leader of the opposition, I used to get on pretty good with Don. He had some good ideas. But uh, then he went, of course, Mm. and John took over. Mm. Well, John's a really good speaker, you know, and things like that, dealing with the public. And politically, that's really good news, isn't it? I mean, that's what you want. Yeah. But uh, I was here to get the job done, not uh, muck around talking to the public.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think
0: that's the, that's the issue, isn't it? Some people are driven to want to get into politics to, to bring about some change. Rather than just, you know, bitching and moaning about things, you, you want to actually put your hand up and do some work and try and effect some change, but then you get caught in the in the machine of mm. politics that actually makes it harder than what it maybe is on the outside as a private person making a difference the way that that you, you have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then there's a funny thing, of course, if you're a Minister of Housing, you can't go and tell the Housing Department what to do. It's got to go through the system. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dead end as far as I was concerned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But town, is a wonderful little town. Not a little, it's infinitely big there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do because we haven't got a council. We've got a team down there, if you call it a team, that does, doesn't debate anything. The system and councils, I believe, the public get ideas, mm. they move on, they talk to the councillors, mm. might then invite them around for a cup of tea or something, they talk to them what they're trying to do, and then the council thinks, go, oh, that's a good idea if it is. They, he puts it to the council itself, they vote on it. If it's ticked off, then the mayor is supposed to take that along to the executive and the management side, and uh, the job's done if you're lucky, yeah. if they got the money. Yeah. Our whole system broke down. We got people polarising on their own thing. And then it was some arguments. But uh, we haven't got that debating system now, though, have we? No. Doesn't matter what happens now, there's no debating. We've got one person makes their decision, maybe two, and and that's it. Yeah. So that's not working. So we need to get rid of the Commissioner. We need to get a council back in place. And uh, we, uh, or maybe talk later on about tolls. Remember about tolls on the roads. But we need to get that all sorted out back. And I want to talk to Luxton. And I'll simply put my name out there that if you don't, if you don't uh, kick kick that commissioner out, well, sorry, you won't be in the tower in the future. Hmm. The uh, we'll put a campaign out to beat less have to. that's the fact I just um, I think it's that so important that we get rid of, get our council back and get the thing working as it should be working mm-hmm. yeah
0: what was your, what was your opinion just as a little an aside thing what was your opinion on the council that obviously got um, you know when, when the commissioners came in it was because the council wasn't working well. Working well together. What was the cause of that? Do you, I mean, have you got any insight into into why that was? What was what were the problems? Because clearly there were problems, and it wasn't
1: too, wasn't many, too an many strong counsel. personalities. Right. Um, I don't want to put names over here at this stage, but no, no. we had people that couldn't tolerate somebody else's opinion. And there's a few of them there, so you had these clusters of councillors, yeah, and and nobody agreed with each other. I have one of the rules I have in life, if I get a problem with a tenant or something, and I tell my foreman as well, just simply get get away for half an hour from the argument. Yeah. Go, go and sit in the office or have a smoke, have a cup of tea, have something. And then what I want you to do is jump the fence. Get on the other side and look at his view. Mm. Simple as A, B, C. Just put all his who is arguing with you, put their views in your mind and see what you think. If what they're talking about is a bunch of crap, well, you go and tell them. But you just might find that they've got a good point. No anger. Yeah. So I think that's the answer. But in our council we didn't have that. Everybody had their fixed idea, bang. I know two of them are very strong-willed. Yeah. And uh, nothing happened because they wouldn't give in.
0: Yeah, The grinds to a halt.
1: In a council, usually the dream is that you go to a council with an idea, and there's a 50-50 chance of getting it through. Yeah, it's not 100% because somebody's going to think different from you. Yeah. So yeah, that's what you have got to tolerate a few kicks in the mouth, kicks in the teeth, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You just got to tolerate it.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
1: uh, I myself couldn't deal with the public if I tried. So when I was going to do housing for National, Phil Hetley was the housing minister and he was dead scared that I was going to pinch his job. So I went and saw him and told him, I do not want to be the minister. I want to run the project, but I don't want to be the minister. Yeah. So you run on and you keep dealing with all these little public people and I'll get some housing built for you. Yeah. But I couldn't get it through. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's what's obviously at the minute you've we haven't got a council, as you've said, we've got commissioners. Um and going back to your stadium, there are a few issues from your perspective with what's going on with that at the minute. But before we go there, can we just nip back to um when you built that stadium? That's is it like 20 years ago now? I think 20 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So How did that come about? I'm interested in, in, you know, why did that have to come about? Why did you have to build it, Bob?
1: Um, I always loved stock cars. I always thought that stock cars were a good thing to keep families together. It was a family sport. So I always had the dream if I could run run stock cars, I'd keep all the families happy and they could come watch them. Mm. And there's a lot of families out there. There's a lot of families that can't afford anything more more expensive, you know. So uh, that's how it went. So, so I, they had just pulled the stadium. You know, do you know the stadium used to be over the road?
0: Yeah, before I I think before I got to Taronga, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, they pulled that one down for some stupid reason, and they were out of stock car track. So the Hot Rod Club, I think they had about ninety grand. They spent that in five minutes on trying to get a consent from a stadium somewhere. They couldn't get one. So I went along to them and I said, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 500 grand, no no issues, no no repayment, no interest, no nothing. It's yours to get one going. I've got a figure slightly wrong, but anyway, uh, this show gave a little bit less. But uh, nothing still happened. So I thought, Oh, beggar. So I took the 500 grand and I said I'd build it myself. They agreed with that, signed all the papers, and and I found that land where it is now, Mm. and we started building. We were supposed to build a stadium with just, I don't know, 5,000 seats, track, bit of a fence, and that was it. Mm. But every time I worked it out, it was better if I made it bigger. So I ended up doing, what was it, 36 corporate boxes? and uh, put a roof on part of it mm. and things like that. So it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The uh, And at the start, it was very, very successful, 15,000 people. Mm. That's a big crowd, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then the football, of course, we got the same, 15,000 for that. Yeah. The, uh, I used to buy... Aussie game. So if a t- team Aussie wanted to play a New Zealand team like Waikato, a uh, pre-practice, pre-season, yeah. they had to play somewhere, and whoever got the game had to pay twelve thousand dollars to get it. Right. So I used to pay twelve thousand dollars, and the Waikato team would come over here and play the Aussie team in my in my stadium.
2: Yeah.
1: The Waikato executive reckoned I'd lose money. I said, well. Welcome, come on, I'll give you a corporate box. You can stand there and drink our food and drink our booze and we'll see how things go. I won't bore you to tears and go on and on and on, but when I saw the people coming in the gate and the numbers went up and up and up and up and up and and we ended up getting just under 15,000 people, we we covered our 12,000 about six times over. They said I don't. Know. They said we don't know why we don't play all the games here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how good it was at the start. Yeah. yeah. Then it came to the stage when I, rolling on quite nicely. My officer Sharon Jackman, she was running the company along with uh, Peter Harford. Right. You might Why know Peter? Did a very very good job. Had his heart right in it. Yeah. Um. Things, things were rolling along pretty good and then the council came along and Stuart Crosby said that he want, the council wanted to buy it, buy the building, not the land, they owned the land. The land. Yeah. And I said, why on earth would you want to buy something that's very successful? It's a community thing, it's running good, we're getting big crowds, we're getting a lot of interest in the football, a lot of interest in different things there to do, do, do. Why would you want to buy it? We like control. I said you guys to nuts. You know they pounded me and pounded me for the next three months, and in the end, I said, "I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give it to you for half price." I didn't want to search out as the full price because some people in town actually think I was making money, so I said, "I'll give it to you for half price." So I, I bought the whole thing for twenty-four million, and I sold it to them for twelve. So uh, they got a good deal, yeah, and they proceeded to wreck it. Oh, they did a lot of stupid things. But at any rate, uh, now it's struggling. It'll come back a little bit when the money gets better. You know, there's a bit of a struggle out in the economy at the moment. Yep. But uh, why? I still ask the question why would you buy it? Why not just let me carry on?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: <coughs> that's just, uh, just crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's how it went.
2: Yeah. They got
1: it.
0: And what's the current situation with it now? There's talk about, I see signs around town saying, leave our stadium alone. And
1: Well, of course, the commissioner and a group of people, whatever you call them, are trying to change everything around. They want to pull the stadium down. They want to move the debt pole out there. They want to move croquet, that's how you say that, somewhere I don't know where it's going. They've got a running track at the domain at the moment that's world class. They're gonna move that somewhere else. This is gonna cost the rate for a whole lot of money. Unbelievable amounts of money. They talk about a new stadium at the domain here to replace that one. They're talking 150 grand. The experts are talking more like 250, sorry, not grand, million. It's shocking stuff. And your rates will go through the roof. So they decided to have a, a bit of a protest, as you might know, about two or three weeks ago there. Yeah. It surprised me. I thought they might get very little people there because people don't go after those things. But I reckon they had 600. They put 400 in the paper, but I reckon they had five or 600 people there. Yeah. It really amazed me, actually, that many people. Yeah. So the words out there... Is this uh,
0: this is in protest to the um, taking the stadium down. Is that, is that what they were protesting for?
1: They, they they were protesting that they don't want to touch it at all. Yeah. When I when I first built that I had a plan for that whole area. Yeah. We had the stadium, we had the uh, exhibition center there. Yeah. With some netball in there. Mm-hmm. Down the further down the still there's a. Car park there, three thousand five hundred car parks, It's good. Um, then we we're going to do more netball courts down the back, and then in the sea there, we we're going to have a big pond and have jet boat racing. Right, jet boat racing that doesn't make a noise, by the way. Yeah, they, they cover the exhaust. But at any rate, but there, this council just decided they're going to pull it all down and put netball everywhere.
0: So that was your that was your original plan for that that whole space, was it?
1: The whole thing—I mm. don't know why they don't come and talk to me. You know, I mean, yeah. talking to people, you get ideas, don't you? But they—they yeah, yeah. just—they yeah. like control, as he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't talk to nobody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I think it's a dreadful mistake what they're doing. But what what brass me off, um, as I said, I put out twelve million, In today's language, that's more like about twenty or thirty million. Yeah. And uh, I put that out and, and when one of the Speedway boys went and saw them about that and said, well, what about Bob Clarkson and all the money he put in? He said, yeah. well, we bought it now. He didn't, he, it's nothing. Not money. He gets no feelings, no nothing. Yeah. So I got a hold of somebody and gave him a bit of a tune-up. and said, Where's the, what about the morals of it? Yeah. I gave all that money to, for a stadium for Speedway yeah. and football for the young fellows. Yeah. You were pinching that from us. Mm. Yeah, but you, we paid for it. I said, Yeah, but that's beside the point, isn't there some morals in this place? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they just said go away. Mm. So that's the only problem I got is the morals. I will I was planning to do something decent shortly actually. They're mm. not doing nothing there. Yeah. Um along along the lines of actually a museum or something like that. Mm. But I'm not doing a, nothing because the fair chance they might turn it into a cow later on or something like that. I mean, I just don't trust them. No, no. The, uh, just just um, absolutely yeah. hopeless. Yeah.
2: That's a shame, eh? Yeah.
0: I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organisation, whether you're large or small, Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at
1: sharp.net.nz. I, uh, As I said, I have a love for the town. I have a love for everybody that likes the town. We yeah. don't want fighting here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's really perturbing me at the moment, of course, is the amount of problems we're having, uh, dare I say, with... I'll say Mary issues without being racial here or anything. Um, along the lines that I turned my TV on now and tried to watch the weather forecast on one, and half it's in Mary. Mm. Sorry, that's not what it's supposed to be. They've got their married channel. Use their married channel if they want to, you know. Uh, why why, why change all these towns' names to married names? I don't know what they're talking about. So I've got to turn to Channel 3, I think it is now, to try and get a progress in English. Gosh, I've been to the States many times and they have a Spanish channel over there because a lot of Spanish-speaking mm. people in the States. Yes. They can have the same here if they want to, got nothing against that, but don't pinch our channel. You know, a little bit's okay. Mm. So there's a lot of that going on, I think some people are getting quite peeved off about that. Mm. So uh, we need to deal with that issue in, in a quite a big way. Um, there's some things I said to you before, I've got nothing against treaty claims if they're genuine and justified. The mm. mount, for example. Mm. There's a few other I could quote, but I won't bother. Um, but we've certainly got to, uh, got to deal with the issues. Out of the 520 acres at Tariq out, I tried to get that through the s- system, you build houses there as I said, and uh, one of the things I had to do was, archaeologically, I had to get it checked. So I paid a guy in the group out there, the Maori group out there, to go and do that, write it all up, fill all the forms in, fill all the spots and da-da-da and give it to me. And he did that, come to home. He said, that'll cost you 25 grand. So I paid him the 25 grand over. Three days later, while was senior mayor come along and said, well, he didn't have the right to do that. You um, shouldn't have paid him. Well, I couldn't believe that. You know, I thought they would have got the money back, but they didn't. And so now here's the uh, guy that's got the land off me now, he's got to go through it all over again. I mean, there's things like that happening. there. somebody's got to have the guts to stand up and deal with it. Yeah. And uh, so it's not—it's not good. The uh, I got two treaties at home. I got—I got a copy of the Treaty of Waitangi, which is they used now. Mm-hmm. And I've got a copy of the, um, what do they call it? I've got the name of it now. The first treaty that came. Well, it's supposed to be the first one. Woodhouse, I think it is or something. Can't remember now. Um, In the first one it says that we will go forward as one. That's the main feature of the whole treaty. The second one talks about trees, fish and water and God knows what else. So obviously uh, the second one was copied by the Marais because they lost the first one. (laughs) They lost it for about, I don't know, 60 years or 50 years or something. They found it and now they won't use it. So when I went into Parliament one of the first things I asked for was a review done of which treaty we should be using. I was told to sit down. Mm. Um, I think we need to clarify that this is going to go on and on forever. We've got people, what, what annoys me that real badly, we did a study when I was in Parliament, a lot of money goes to the Maori, so where does that money go? It doesn't seem to go to the people that need education and all that. Shouldn't they be handing some of that out to the young pupils and all that? Hmm. Um, so, there's a few issues around that that I'm a little bit almost fed up with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got married guys who work for me. Yeah, they make remarks sometimes, but they're good guys, you know, no problems. So,
0: you don't feel at the minute that we are one people? Is that what you're saying? You were you no, referring no, to the, the, the
1: Maries are generally, no, the Marys are trying to segregate us, right? Um, and we don't want that. Yeah. We we have we, we have these schools, Mary schools now. For goodness sake, who the hell decided to do that? Mm. I know a lot of Marys are very well educated. Why do we need to have a school that doesn't teach the English language? I asked the headmaster at the one of the schools up here. How the hell does it? How does a kid learn English? Oh, they pick that up on the street? Mm. And they teach them the marry, yeah. when they what well, they call it full immersion. I think they call it right. Yeah. So you've uh, and the English is just picked up by accident. Mm. Does it make sense? Yeah. That mm. make much sense to me. Uh, maybe I'm a dumb bugger, I don't know.
0: Clearly. The, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not.
1: Just for interest, I'll just tell you something quickly. The Maryvale um, the Maryvale school there a few years ago, we decided that half the kids weren't getting a feed. It's pretty hard to get educated when you're when you're hungry. So I, I talked to the missus and she went out and talked to a couple of married girls at in that uh, Maryvale area, mm. and we decided we were going to do lunches for the kids. Yeah. So we made these lunches up. We went around shops and got all their leftover food and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And we used to charge each kid one dollar. And they got a big healthy lunch, believe you may. Yeah. The teachers had to pay five bucks for the meal. We did that for about three or four months and then um, the headmaster there, what's her name, Sin Nappy or something, I, mean, I can't remember now, Um, She tried to stop us. I said, why on earth do you want to do that? We're doing something decent. I said, they've just got an award for it. They got a big award in Wellington for it. And, uh, no. You know, we carried on, we finished the season, then we had to stop. Now she's gone into that that headmaster, now as a Minister of Education, for goodness sake. She's in there promoting free lunches. Hang on. You spent twelve months trying to talk us out of it, yeah. but anyway. So there's another little thing we did, and uh, uh, rather enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, I got about six buses and pulled them up with all the kids and the parents, and took them all out to the cars. Yeah, Gave them all a free free ticket in. That was quite a buzz. That's yeah, cool. Two two big, married guys come up to me when we're heading out of the buses because they were on the bus too, and they come up to me and they says. We a little bit confused I said why's that why would a parker shout all these Marys a free trip <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't treat you as bloody mares I don't treat you as parkyards you're New Zealanders yeah yeah and that's it yeah well, that's okay
2: yeah
1: but uh see a bit of a laugh yeah the uh, I was hoping you would ask me about some of the jokes I have during my life as I said I'd like to I like to do some funny things now and again. Yeah, yeah. And I'll qu- quickly tell you this one that was a bit of a laugh. I might go to Joel for this, but too bad. <laughs> um, I used to have a big farm up north, 800 acres. And it got to a stage on the farm where we had about 5,000, 6,000 sheep, and you couldn't sell a sheep come love no money. So I said to my manager up there, I said, look, I'll bring a couple of guys up, and we'll kill 80 sheep. Butcher them and all that stuff and cut them in halves. And uh, we'll do 80 of them all together and I'll give each of my people that I know in a free sheep, free two halves. Yep. Uh, so we did that, big job by the way. And anyway, I we went up with the other white I bought the stuff, bought the halves down, 160 halves, yep. and um, we started to deliver, delivering them around Matamata. When we got to the last 12, sheep, 24 halves, the people weren't home. So I said to them, look, i got an old freezer around the old dairy factory that I used to own. So I went around there and turned the switch over, chucked them all, and then I said, we'll deliver them next weekend. We went back the next weekend and I'd actually tripped the switch the wrong way. And I'd put it on... On on the freezer? Yeah, so I'd put it on chill instead of freeze. It mostly wouldn't have made any difference, but... I didn't want to kill my mates, so I decided to chuck them in the rubbish dump. So we chucked a 12 sheep, 10 sheep, whatever it was, 20 halves. We trucked them in our truck, and we went down the dump. We went to chuck them off the dump, and there's about 20, yeah, I don't know whether I should say this, but <laughs> 20 Marys there, and they said, hey, we'll, we'll take the chance. Well, I could just visualize 21 dead Marys there, and I didn't know whether that was a good look, actually. So chuck what well, we chucked off, I chucked back on the truck and took them up the Carmos until a road up there called Toe North. And we were looking for somewhere under the bush where the cows walk, you know, they leave a hollow underneath. You might know that, but anyway. You know. So we chucked them on under there and we were just going to drive off and I said to him, hold on, give me a hand. We can have a bit of fun. So we stood all these sheep up half against half. Yeah. And we had ten round in a circle. A nice neat circle. Now, my idea was that the farmer's dog would come down and he'd bark, bark, bark His dogs do that on a farm when they smell something odd. Mm-hmm. And the farmer would have to go down to see what the hell was going on and he'd see the circle of sheep and he'd wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> the end, that was the end. That was supposed to be. Well, Monday morning they got a full investigation. There's a colt started in town. <laughs> <laughs> they got the police going full bore. I'm sitting in the background hiding. <laughs> was, uh, gee, that was 24, 30 years ago now. <laughs> anyway, I went over to Matter Matter when I stood for Parliament and did a speech there. And I finished the speech and it came to question time. And I said, Any more questions? And this boy from way down the back of the room said, Bob, what happened to the sheep? <laughs> Oh gosh, that's the old story. Looking for a joke, yeah, yeah, a yeah. yeah. But I'd say during life we had a good time because we raced stock cars, yeah, ourselves. Yeah, I had four cars, by the way, and we used to race those all over the place. Uh, got next to nothing, ten dollars if you win yeah. after you paid out about thirty dollars in gas. Yeah, but uh, we certainly. We had a good record. We we won all the, every every champion game And then we changed to Drake's racing. Yeah. We had the New Zealand record the fastest car for what, seven years, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. That was Lewis Weimer, was my driver. I, I didn't drive. I didn't didn't particularly like driving too fast for me. Yeah. Over two hundred miles an hour and a quarter of a mile, it's still moving. But I, I like to set the car up, to get it going. Yeah. And uh, so we were very successful there. Yeah, and uh, and then I uh, then I got married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. But,
0: uh, I was thinking about what you were saying about the um, you know like not necessarily one people moving forward at the minute. We seem to be kind of segregated. And you were talking about the names of of places and, and things in in. Alm um I was interested to see your old uh, nemesis Winston Peters saying the same thing
1: on yes, TV yeah. the
0: other day maybe you've got something in common
1: well <laughs> yeah in actual fact I'd already told someone about this I was getting a bit annoyed about what was happening and blew me it was only about a week ago Winston said it yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: look Winston is a clever guy I mean he's quite he's just a bit lazy that's all When we went to uh, um, the select committee meetings and things like that, Winston would be on some of the groups and had to go there. He would – oh, you won't know the system. On a Monday night – let me make sure I'm right here. On a Monday night we used to get a heap of papers out of that bank, two inches thick. And we had to read anything that concerned us, we had to read that by Tuesday lunchtime. Because what happened, we go to select committees to discuss them, you see. Mm. Winston had never spent any time. He'd arrive at the select committee with the thing still wrapped up. <laughs> he hadn't read it at all. But otherwise, I think Winston was quite clever. Mm. Why did Winston get beaten in Tauranga? Well, I was well-known. I mean, we all agree with that. I, my name was well-known. Yeah. And that was a bigger disadvantage. But why? why Right, why I w- won it in Tang Tide was Winston kept talking about Bob Clarkson. Bob Clarkson won't win. Bob Clarkson won't do this. Bob Clarkson won't do that. Good on you, Winston. Keep going. More <laughs> my name's out, the better. So I made a decision no public meetings. Now, I might have a few on the street corner and things like that, but big meetings, none. Because if Winston come along to a public meeting, he could blow me to pieces right? because I'm a new boy, you know. Yeah. So I said it. My my staff in my um, in my office nearly blew their top. <laughs> and I said, no, nah, that's it. I made a decision. I think we'll win this because this is how it'll go. So every meeting he went to, public or not, he'd spend the first 20 minutes saying how bad Bob Clarkson was. You know what people do when you run somebody all the time? They take their side, don't they? Well, not always, but they do yeah. take their side. Yeah. And that's what happened. I mean, he just lost vote after vote after vote.
0: He was doing your marketing for you.
1: Yeah, it's similar simple yeah. as that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think Winston was very clever, but he made one fault, one mistake there. He really did.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. What about his, his policies? Were you in, a, in, agree, in agreement with anything that he stood for or his party yes, stood for?
1: Yes, he did. Some of his immigration stuff is good. I didn't study it, that side of things very much. I suppose I looked after my own field. But uh, no, he had some that are pretty good. hes, he's uh, he, he didn't like immigration very much. You know, they bring these groups of odds and people in, Yeah. things like that. Yeah. But he's a bit of a player. I mean, he plays on the one that suits the market. And this Maori one at the moment, of course, he's quite keen on that because he, he can get some... Um, some What's the word? Some energy out of the people on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, but as far as the politician, no, we don't need him. Hmm. I, uh, I sometimes think we could have tri- played it differently. We could have gone to Winston and said, well, I'll tell you what, you run in tower and win for national, we'll back you 100%, providing you demand toll-free roads. There's one of my pet subjects. I just just hit it on the button. Yeah, yeah. Toll-free roads. They're the biggest disaster in the world. I can tell. I'll go, I'll go to America first. I was taken by a friend of mine down to watch, look at a new toll, toll-free road in just down from LA, about 100 miles south from there. They built this, they built this toll road, mm. not toll-free, toll road, to bypass some area... And if you paid the toll, you'd say about five miles going to work. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of it. Yeah.
2: They
1: took me down there to show me this is a six-lane each way. Now, take how big that is. Six yeah. lanes each way, yeah. two cars on the whole thing. The whole day, two cars. People were just fighting it rather than pay the toll. Yeah. Now, the problem you get here, out of the, out of the to, Tauranga, you realise, is the expert on toll roads. Major job, uh, the gully one in Wellington was done. Millions of dollars, no toll on that. Yep. Hang on, we had tolls on our bridge. Yeah. Well, we had tolls on our second bridge, did we? No, I don't think we did. Do we? I can't remember now. We got another toll gate out here on the motorway.
0: Well, I think we got a toll on the uh, road out to Tariko didn't we? Yeah, I suppose that's probably. Set off. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's set off. Yeah.
1: That's right. So that's two. Then we got. They added another 20 million on, or something to allow for the fact of the road joining up to the road or a bypass road. Mm-hmm. Was, the town of Haring was at, increased 20 million to cover that. Mm. You might know that, but it was a fact. You know, we and then they got a toll road out to and T Pookie. We got toll roads uh, everywhere. Yeah. You tell me one other town that's got a toll road, town, not a state highway. Yeah. There's a tunnel up north. That's a state highway, mind you. Yeah. You tell me one, one. Toll road, other than Tara, it's shocking. We're being we're being decked
2: yeah.
1: in a big way. Yeah. So that's the second thing I want Mr. Luxon to announce. Simple as that. He's going to wipe the tolls.
3: Yeah.
1: Tolls are the most inefficient way of collecting money. They find out here anybody that doesn't pay their toll, they're supposed to send a ticket out and all that sort of stuff, and a fine or whatever they do. Yeah. They don't get it paid. So, I look, I'd guess they've got 50 people working on that. I'm guessing that number, by the way. Mm. And they collect very few of them. Yeah. I must find the exact figures out one day. It's shocking. Mm. So if you go out there, don't bother paying your toll. Well, you've got an account if you had a... Seat. Most mm-hmm. people got accounts, so I've got an account. Yeah. But you don't need an account. They're not going to give you a hard time. Mm. Yeah. I went back and forth there by mistake with one number plate missing. Uh, Somebody hit my car and took the number plate off. Nobody ever rang me and I didn't even know the number plate was missing. (laughs) One of my boys had told me. But So tolls are a definite no-no. And our council here, and it was originally a council, dumb council, the National Party were going to win the elections a few years ago. And they said to the council, if you wait two years extra we'll do the toll road to Te Puki out that way free. No tolls. And the council voters said, no, 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 we want the toll road now. Two years they had to wait, that's all they had to wait. Mm-hmm. How thick's that? Yeah. So there's all these things that are happening underground that the people are need to debate them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And find out some of these councils were thick.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't hate councillors. Yes, I do. That's a lie. <laughs> I couldn't stop that before it came <laughs> out. <laughs> I, they, many years ago when I was a politician, they pulled a paper thing in about towering new, and as an MP I had to write a little story about towering and what was going to happen in the future. Yeah. And they buried them out at Tariqau, out at uh, Greerton. They put them underground somewhere yeah. out there. Yeah. I'm dying for them to ring, dig that up. I'll be dead, but gone by then. But you want you, you want to know what was on the paper? Go on. I hate councils.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: they've got a pig of a job. Yeah, but they can make it pleasant. We're yeah. just debating and playing it, yeah, you know, playing it straight. So what? What in your
0: your view, Bob? I mean, obviously, you you know, in your in your life, the amount of uh, interactions with councils must have been huge for all the building work that you've done and, uh, over the years. Uh, so you've got a really good experience of working, I was going to say working with, uh, maybe working against or trying to work with uh, councils. What, what needs to change, do you think, to make things better? Not just for from a development point of view, but um, because you know some sides of the fence would say, well, it's all about making money. But, you know, from a from a growth point of view, from a uh, beneficial, you know, to be a benefit to the city or town, what needs to change as far as local local politics goes?
1: This, I think they're one of the main things, especially when you get into the building area. Uh, we need people with more skills that can make instant decisions. We've got inspectors on the jobs that are quite good guys. You know, they're, they're real well experienced, old calmness and all that sort of stuff. No argument there. But when you get into the official type, at of the big office, the problem is some of them can't make an instant decision so they put a RFI on it. Do you know what that is? Yeah. They put a question out. And as soon as they put the question out, the movement of that plan stops. Mm. And they're supposed, to, they're supposed to have the plan out in 20 days. So they just put a stop on it until somebody finds the answer. If you had more experienced people checking your plans, you get them done twice as fast and you get the right answer. We don't have that. Well, the second thing, if they had more experienced people there, your engineer or yourself, whoever's doing the building, you go and have a quick meeting with them. That's what we used to do in the old days. Yeah. And they'd say, well, we need this, we need that. Yeah, we'll do that, do that. Uh, hey, that's not right. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah. And it'd be over and done with them in minutes, if not hours. Yeah. But now we wait weeks and weeks and weeks for things. Mm-hmm. And it's because they haven't got the experienced staff. Um, there's several things in life that sort of bug me. One is cell phones and things like that. You guys, I don't because I can't use the bloody thing, but um, you send a text message or all those other funny things you do, there's no personality in that. You send a text out and they answer with a text. If you'd rung them instead, you would have got an answer and an explanation why they did that. Wouldn't that? be quicker. So I'm a little bit against cell phones. Very, very good for some things. Computers are marvellous sometimes, except I can't work those either. (laughs) But generally they take the personality out of everything. So you're getting the same thing in your council. The young guys, or, or I shouldn't say young guys, but the guys doing the plans haven't got the experience to make an instant decision. Therefore they can't expose those young people to the builders because mm. they might get uh, shot up. Mm. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must stress the inspectors that come out in the field are really good, but they're usually old carpenters and things like that. Mm. Mm. So, uh, yeah.
0: So what we're talking about really is making sure that we have good communication, open communication, Good personal, face-to-face with, communication with
1: skillful people. So they make a decision in minutes instead of hours. We're going to take the pressure off them.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They, uh, I, I think that's the main thing actually, just okay. get the right staff. Yeah. They might say, well, you can't get them at the moment. That's a fair statement. Yeah. We just can't get staff at the moment. Yeah. But when it does come right, that's what you want to aim for, good staff. Yeah. And, uh, and for everybody's entitled to a couple of five-minute meetings with them or something like that. Yeah. It it must be hard work, I suppose, but yeah,
2: it's got to be a better way.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: so while we're solving problems of the world, uh, that's local politics. It's election year. From a national politics point of view, what what needs to happen? What do we need in the way of, in your from your perspective, what do we need going forward, um, in the next few years? That's gonna improve things for New Zealand. Obviously, we've got global issues that are affecting us, but we've got domestic issues that are affecting us as well. Housing.
1: Housing. Yeah. Yeah. Housing. Keep going. It must be really tough on people that can't get a house. Now, some of them, to be quite honest, don't need a house or don't deserve a house. That's the right word. Mm. But if we were running our point system by now, we'd have a good record on those people. We'd tell them why you're not getting a house. Mm. Because you out of a hundred, you only got one good point, mm. so you're not getting the house. you to live in a cowshed. So, at the moment, we don't have any record very much of any people. Him and I know one house out of my tour here that's had the kitchen done up in the state house three times in I can't remember it was four years or so. Three times I had to rebuild the kitchen because it's beaten to death. Why well, are they in the house? Mm. Kick them out. I mean, you might say, where do you put them? You can't put kids on the streets, for goodness sake. Well, we need a series of brick houses, don't we? Concrete block houses. Put them in there so they can't wreck them. <laughs> I'd be real tough because we will help you. Times are tough. We will help you long term. But we're not helping you if you don't help yourself. Yeah. Nice and simple. Mm. Don't expect nothing for nothing. Yeah. So uh, and that was a dream with my point system. Even if you moved out of that house, moved to Aussie for a couple of years and then come back here, you'd still have your point system. Well, look, i got 99 out of 100. What do you want?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So the system would have started working. So housing is the main thing we need, no ifs or buts. Uh, and a better way of getting the consents for them. Yeah. I can't believe the trouble they seem to have to go to. You build six houses the same, you effectively got to have six sets of plans. Now, there is a bit of oh there is a bit of amalgamation but uh generally you got to have you got to deal with each house it's just yes. there's a better system somewhere there mm. Mm. But, uh, and then that flows on of course with your development of land and all that we need a better system where stop these people going they spend days and days environment would be environment BOP, whatever they call themselves yeah they go around these farms looking for three-legged ants or some bloody thing, don't they? Whatever it is they look for. Um, got to stop some of that. I mean, have a quick look, fair enough, but bats, I think it's two-winged bats, three-winged bats. <laughs> they do, they waste a lot of time. It costs, I would hate to think what it's cost classic homes out of Turica. I would suggest it's cost them five or six million so far and they've got nothing. That's terrible.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. The, uh So I'd say yes, speed that up. I don't think it'll ever happen. I've been to states and studied their, their systems over there. They're just as bad if not worse. Right. So how are you going to fix it? I don't know. Okay. We need a mayor, a bit like Bob Owens I suppose. Bob Owens was perceived to be fairly tough but fair. We need something tougher at the top. Right. That really gets stuck in and get things done, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, then we got just the council itself. I cannot believe that they're building a new council building completely out of wood. Did you know that?
0: Yeah, I'd heard that, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's gonna cost a over two, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's just I think that's crazy. But, and the second thing is has been built by a place in Auckland. What's the matter with our builders here? Mm. They'll say, we haven't got enough staff here to do it. Well, wait till we do have. Mm. Those are rainy day jobs. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: The, uh, the, the main thing that seems to float around is the council has no debating now. Cameron Road, for example, over here they put no parking now in front of some shops up there. Have you ever had a look at that? Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: That's stupid. Whose bright idea was that? Now, if they would ba- debated that, that would have come out earlier on in the piece, wouldn't it? I mean, it simply mm. would have been picked up. Yeah. But no, they're not altering anything or very little at any rate. Yeah. So now we've got these shops trying to get business. They've got no parks. Yeah. That doesn't make sense either. No.
0: Well, I read an article, um, I think it, was, it might have been even like 10 years ago, something, I think it was in the Bay of Plenty Times at the time uh, with, with you and uh, you, you said that I think you were in your 70s, early 70s at the time and and uh, you were talking about councils and saying that you've, you're have you going to be uh, bothering councils for the next 30 years. Going to You're going to be bothering the councils uh, still for the next 30 years. So, you know, at this point in time, uh, that's 10 years on. You're still building. What, what's what's left for you to do? What do you want to achieve? I was going to ask you about your legacy. You've already got a legacy in this town and uh, that speaks for itself. But what do you, what do you want to achieve personally? What's, what's next for you? Anything?
1: Well, I, my next thing to do was I was going to start giving back and that was, a, I told you, the museum and things like that. So I wanted to do a few things. I like that. Uh, certainly, um, I got a, uh, heave a day when I sold everything. I sold all the buildings, not all, of them, most of them. Though. So I was going to start giving back and that, I could hand contracts out for that. So even though I'm affected a bit by Parkinson's, I can still write the text out, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Do it by contract. Yeah. But the way the council's gone now and chopping my stadium down out there, <laughs> they're not getting a penny.
3: You
1: mm. hell. So what do I got to achieve? Well, that's difficult now. I don't know what the hell I have to rethink it all now. Yeah, yeah. I certainly don't want to be sitting at home. No. The, uh, the, uh, my foreman said if we stop building, he's going to go home and hang around with his wife for a while. <laughs> God, he must be desperate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, Bob, I'd like to thank you for again for coming in today and giving up your time. Uh, to talk to me. I've really appreciated that. Um, I am a big admirer, a big fan of yours of what, what you've done um, over the years for this for this town and the role that you've played in the development of, of it and the growth of it. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, whatever you do next, whether it's continuing to build the buildings or doing something different uh, and keeping busy, I wish I wish you all the best with that thanks and all this, and, and continued success. But thank you very much for for your time. I've I've really appreciated it.
1: It'll do. Well, I hope in a few years' time to come sit in the same place here and tell you that I've done another four or five buildings, half them for the town and half for me.
0: That'll be nice. That'll be great. Yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. Thank you, Bob. Cheers. As you will hopefully know by now, if you've seen other episodes, this segment of the podcast is all about wisdom worth sharing. At the end of every interview, I look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out during the conversation, and summarise them here. I tend to say nice things about all of my guests, because they've all been great guests, great people, and I'm genuinely grateful to have had them on the show, none more so than Bob Clarkson. When I first came to New Zealand and arrived in the small town of Tauranga, it seemed Bob Clarkson was a name that everybody knew. There are a number of number of individuals who have contributed to the growth of the city and Bob is certainly one of them. His prolific work in the commercial sector has provided opportunities for businesses to grow and for many others to come to Tauranga and establish themselves in this region. These businesses have consequently provided work opportunities for the growing population. Without people like Bob, with the foresight, work ethic and determination that he has, there wouldn't be the growth and progress that we've experienced. It may be the less than optimal higher level management of that growth by local authorities that has led to a huge land prices and high values in property. This is making it almost impossible for younger generations who have grown up here to buy property in their hometown. That's been a significant focus for Bob over the last 20 years, but sadly up to now, he hasn't been able to do what he believes is needed to ease that situation. And I'll come back to that shortly. But suffice to say, Bob hasn't shied away from a challenge and has never been scared of hard work. Working 20 hour days most of his life, he's made things happen. He's not one of these guys who just sits in the office all day and the real work gets delegated. Don't get me wrong, Bob has no doubt had great people around him who have also worked very hard following his example. The example he's set is by doing the work himself. He's told me that he loves nothing more than being in his big digger out on site doing the work. He literally is Bob the Builder. It's not about the dollars though, Bob says. It's about achievement. and The dollars are just a way of measuring that achievement. He's famous in these parts for building a stadium here in Taronga, for stock car racing and for rugby. He loved stock cars, although he didn't race them himself, but he felt that stock cars was a great way to give families something to do together, to be together. He believes that the fiber of our society stays intact when we work hard and play hard together. That stadium cost him $24 million of his own money, and when pressured by council, he sold it to them, but for half the price, $12 million. He didn't want people to think that he was making money out of ratepayers. And now, after 20 years, the stadium is potentially set to be pulled down due to new plans the council has. Bob and a huge portion of the community are upset that this is happening. Bob built that for the community, gifted it at a bargain price to the community, and now he sees it's been pinched by the organisation leading our community. Bob said that it's caused him to rethink his plans for giving back and investing in other projects like a museum, for example. He's a capitalist with a socialist hat, and wanted to invest in the future of our community. Now, whether the plans for the stadium will in fact prevent Bob giving back more, as he says, I don't know, but he's already given a huge amount and much of it most people will never probably know about. You can tell that Bob absolutely loves doing what he does and that's important. It's an important point for all of us to enjoy what we do. It helps with being good at it. The more we do something, because we love doing it, the better we usually get at it. If Bob didn't love what he did, he wouldn't still be doing it. At 84, Bob's health with Parkinson's is almost the only thing slowing him down. In his view, the councils also do that. But Parkinson's certainly isn't stopping him. And while he can, he wants to continue building. He talks with such passion about the buildings he's currently got underway and also about the elusive project he's wanted to do for over 20 years. But even getting into parliament as an MP didn't help him achieve that. And that's sorting out the issue of affordable housing in New Zealand. Once he realized that it was pushing the proverbial uphill in parliament, he decided to try and do it himself in Tauranga. As he said, he took a $52 million punt, but the council let him down and wouldn't let him develop 1800 affordable houses on the land he bought. Now I'm not a politician, and I don't know the other side of the story, of course, but what I do know is that we need houses. The governments over the last 20 years haven't managed to prepare for or deliver the houses we need, so we still need those houses. Whatever the reasons were back when Bob was trying to get approval for his housing project, surely they need to be looked at again with the question of how can we? Bob feels like this has been a personal you know, um, vendetta against him, if if you like, But surely our politicians aren't preventing solutions just because of personality clashes. Bob has relayed that on many occasions he feels that he's been blocked because he's going to make a lot of money out of the project. And that could be argued either way. But we need people like Bob working hard to make money. Otherwise these projects would never happen. And then where would we we be? Should we begrudge hardworking people making money or should we encourage them to do so? The more opportunities council provides for development, the more properties there are available. The more properties there are available, the more competition there is, and the housing market would regulate itself, price-wise. Now, I'm only hearing one side of the story, but I also know that Bob has considered the other side in trying to work out why he's faced such issues. He told us during the interview that his advice to his team when they're dealing with something or someone difficult is to get away from the argument. Jump the fence and see things from the other person's point of view. If they take talking crap, he says, tell them. But you might just learn something that changes your mind. And this is great advice. And I'm reminded of Viktor Frankl's quote about the space between stimulus and response. Creating a bigger space between the stimulus and response, as Bob suggests, allows us the opportunity to have an open mind when listening to the other side. And maybe if all parties could do that, we'd live in a much better place. When I met with Bob after the interview, he said to me that it doesn't matter what you have, what you've achieved in life, how much money you've got, it means nothing if you haven't got your health. And Having Parkinson's has made Bob realize this. It's slowing him down a bit. His energy to challenge the powers that be to try and achieve his goal of affordable housing is diminishing, but it's not completely gone. I saw that and I felt that. His energy levels and enthusiasm, his passion was palpable in the room when he spoke about this project to me. And I just wish that there was something that could be done to help Bob achieve his goal. Not just because he's, we'd be helping a good guy who, yes, might make some money along the way, but because he's wanting to help so many others, younger generations, get into affordable, well-made houses in the town that they grew up in. Now, maybe I'm naive in thinking this. But maybe some of you can think of ways that we can help influence the powers that be to reconsider this project, to look at other projects like it as well, but and to not block progress, but to give the likes of Bob a chance to keep building, building something this community and its people need, more homes. If you've any thoughts or ideas, let me know and I'll gladly pass them on to Bob. Maybe you could help with achieving something extremely valuable for our community. My last words on the interview with Bob, relate to his general sense of humor and his positive outlook. He has always wanted to enjoy doing what he's doing and have a laugh along the way. And humor plays a big part of his life. His first speech as an MP in parliament is a good indication of that. And I agree with Bob. I think we all need more humor in our lives. Something that Bob actually didn't say during the interview, but always does when you part company with him is keep smiling. It's just two words, but they're quite powerful. When Bob says those words to you, you know he means it and they actually make you smile. It's then up to us to work out how we can keep smiling. What is it that we need more of in our lives to enable us to turn that frown upside down and spend more of our time being happy about the things that we have to be happy about rather than focusing on the doom and gloom. We can always find things to be unhappy about, but we can choose where to put our focus. Choose whether to smile or not. Let's all start noticing what makes us smile and do more of that. Hopefully, you've been able to make or take away many insights from this interview that you can apply to some aspects of your life, work and legacy. Use them, share them with others. As I always say, sharing is like teaching and teaching helps us retain what we've learned and enables us to commit to change, which is always necessary if we are to enhance our life's work. I hope you are happy, safe, and successful in all that you do. And remember, live a life that's a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast all about wisdom worth sharing.